A spectator subscription is now better value than ever before. As a new subscriber joining today, you'll pay just £1 a week for unlimited online and app access in your first year. To subscribe today, go to spectator.co.uk forward slash unlimited. Hello and welcome to a special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm Kate Andrews and I'm joined by The Spectator's Isabel Hartman. Isabel, you and I have written a lot about the NHS in the past, particularly over, say, the past year, as it has become a real crisis point, not just for the government, but for every patient who needs to use it. Understandably, all the focus at the moment, especially this weekend, is going to be on that uplift to the energy price cap as people, especially on low incomes, are thinking about how they might go about paying their bills this winter with very little to be said on the end of government as we wait for a new prime minister to come in. But if you're a patient on the NHS, this is at the top of your concern list, if not at the very, very top. What exactly is going so wrong? And are there going to be any solutions this winter, short-term solutions that can help fix the backlog? Yeah, so the Conservative leadership debate has uh, moved into quite interesting territory, and this is something you've written a lot about, which is the the health and care levy and the way in which it it doesn't really go to the social care bit of it for a couple of years. Uh, It's funding the NHS backlog or the attempts to, to tackle it for the first few years. But as we've both written, and as Liz Truss has acknowledged in the past few days, that doesn't make a great deal of sense when the social care sector being on its knees has a direct impact on the National Health Service, not just in terms of people not being you know, safe at home and having falls and so on, and then having to go into acute care, but also at the other end where they can't be safely discharged because there's no funding for a proper care package for them, so they stay in hospital possibly getting sicker because hospital's not a good place to be unless you really have to be there, you know, get a hospital acquired infection or your condition just deteriorates because you're not as mobile and so on. And that bed also is not able to be used by someone coming in. So that has a knock on effect on the emergency departments, which we've seen under huge pressure, ambulances, obviously, and also on attempts to tackle this backlog. So Liz Truss has said that she wants more of this money to go to social care straight away, which makes a lot of sense. But this has always been the problem with getting these two sectors, the National Health Service and social care, to share a pot of money which both of them need, which is that normally the the NHS just swallows all the money up itself. But social care is desperately underfunded. And that was one of the sleights of hand that Boris Johnson's government executed was by suggesting that this money was going to to sort out both when actually it's it's not. Mm. Well, let's break down that levy a bit, Isabel, because Liz Truss has said that she's going to scrap the national insurance rise, which at one point was thought to bring in about £13 billion, given the changes Rishi Sunak then made to the threshold. It's now bringing in about £6 billion, but still, she's going to scrap it all together. So she's going to have to be fined billions more pounds through general taxation because she's still committed to increasing funding. But we're already seeing backlash from NHS files from people who do not want to see this money transferred away from the health service, saying that this is robbing Peter to pay Paul. I think that was the quote from the chief of the King's Fund. 
I think you and I were always skeptical that once this money started going to the NHS, it was ever really going to be given back to social care. Do you suspect that when Liz Truss talks about increasing funding for social care, she really is ready and willing to make a steely decision to move the money away from the NHS? Or do you think this is another spending rise in disguise that actually she'll keep the uplift for the NHS and she'll give more money to social care? Yeah, I totally agree with you on that second point that actually this is this is not robbing Peter to pay Paul. This is just moving pots of money around and overall spending more. She has said, Liz Truss has said at other hustings that she thinks NHS spending will probably have to go up uh, in contrast to Rishi Sunak, who said it's, you know, it's fine as it is. And he fought tooth and nail to, to stop quite a lot of funding going to to the health service over the past year and a bit because he, like most chancellors, sees the health service as being this sort of black hole down which you could pour any amount of money and it would never be enough, which NHS leaders would obviously uh, vigorously dispute. But yeah, I suspect that Truss, being the sort of politician she is, you know, she, like Margaret Thatcher, someone who we've never compared her to before, (laughs) who she's never, ever dressed up as or, or, or really ever thought about, actually. She hasn't even been mentioned once in this leadership campaign. It's been remarkable. Weird, isn't it? I mean, you know, I, I do find it funny just as an aside, and I'm sure you do too, that the, the Tories are considered weird for venerating their most successful leader because their opposition party just gets very upset whenever anyone even says the words Tony Blair, who yeah. has, you know, similar levels of success. But anyway... Dare I say it's triggering, yeah. Yeah, but for, for, for Truss, I think, you know, if she has paid any attention to Margaret Thatcher's legacy, one of those things is that, that Thatcher always got too scared to do anything major with the NHS. You know, she, she brought in some big reforms like the internal market... But even though she was very attracted to the idea of an insurance-based system, she realised that the public would just not stomach it. And um, she began to say, and this is something her biographer Charles Moore writes a lot about, that you know the NHS is safe in our hands. And he thinks that she really believed that because she was so nervous about the public reaction of, to doing anything else. I suspect Liz Truss... Mm will have the same sense. And she'd probably be right to, to have that as well. We'll get on to some of the sort of public confrontations that some of her colleagues have been having recently. You know, the public mm-hmm. do, for, for better or worse, love the NHS. And if they're stuck on a waiting list, they hate what politicians do to it rather than you know, any sort of inefficiencies within that system. We're in a strange spot, aren't we, where if you ask the public, broadly speaking, how they feel about the NHS, as you point out, it's not the NHS, it's our NHS. There's a lot of deep, deeply held love for the health service. But if you actually pull people on satisfaction, more people are now dissatisfied with the NHS than satisfied. As well, I know you've written about this. I think there's an increasing sense of, of fear and concern as this wait list for NHS England just skyrockets. It's well over 6.5 million people now estimated if we're lucky to peak around 9 million in 2024, but it it could reach double digits. If you're on that waiting list, as much as you might ideologically or on paper care about the health service and what it stands for, I feel like you're increasingly going to feel like something's got to give here. And as you point out, Labour, Conservative, nobody wants to to touch that. And I know you and I may have some disagreements about 
funding when it comes to the NHS, I think, you know, I won't put words in your mouth, you can speak to this, but I think you probably feel like more funding might not be so bad. I would genuinely question in this system what that funding would really do to improve the situation. But regardless of funding levels, if no one's talking about reform, what can meaningfully change in the medium term? It's interesting you say if no one's talking about reform, because I would, again, argue that they could probably do with talking about reform even less um, because they've just been <laughs> obsessed with reform. And when I say they, I mean successive governments, not just Tories, but, but mm-hmm. Labour. We've had sort of perpetual revolution really since the early 90s and particularly since the turn of the millennium. And that has really taken its toll on the health service. And I'm not saying that's, you know, the only problem that the health service has. There are lots of things that the health service could do better in, you know, whatever structures it has. But you talk to most chief executives of the latest incarnation of NHS structures, and they will have had six different jobs and had to reapply for a new job every 18 months in a new organisation with new you know, branding, new relationships within the local NHS, within local government and so on. And I mean, it really is sort of every 18 months, the cards get shuffled. And it's been quite unusual that the Tories haven't done anything major in terms of legislation for for 10 years between the Lansley Act and the Health and Care Act, which came into force earlier this year. But that was because the changes that Lansley made were so massive and then were sort of not secretly, but very quietly unpicked by NHS leaders like Simon Stevens, that they, again, caused a huge amount of disruption in the system. Now, Liz Truss, again, has been talking about the need for fewer middle managers in the NHS. And, you know, fine, maybe we don't need as many managers in a health system the size of a small country. Maybe doctors have have got lots of time on their hands and could just, you know, take on more more management roles. I'm I'm sure there's plenty of them who, who think they'd be really good at that. But that, would, again, would be another massive reorganisation. And I, I'm just not sure whether that's going to be the the thing that helps. I, I don't know what you think in terms of managers, in terms of the sort of bureaucracy of the NHS, whether there is a way of reforming that that would make it move quicker, make admin leaner and so on. Well, I'm aware that my thoughts aren't necessarily politically viable, but I, I mean, I, I, <laughs> sorry, my dog's objecting to that. <laughs> He's got his anti-NHS privatization pen. I, I want one of those. I half agree with you, Isabel, that part of the problem is a constant need for a political party to put their stamp on the NHS, quote, unquote, reform it and say that things are going to be made better as a result. I guess where I might disagree is I don't think these have been revolutionary reforms I think a lot of it's been tinkering and the fact that we are simply talking about how many managers are in the NHS and this is supposedly making or breaking whether or not people can access healthcare doesn't stack up to me I mean the only way that you get real efficiency gains is to bring in more choice and significantly more choice to go far further than than the Blair years and to actually create a competitive market, which is what you see across Europe, you know, and, and you know, I've spoken about this before, that not having the very centralized top-down approach that the UK has adopted does not mean having the US system or 
quote, privatized healthcare. You know, there are lots and lots of in-between versions that embrace competition and, and make systems far more efficient and still ensure that everyone has access to healthcare. But, you know, this is just a, a no-go zone. And instead, we end up with, I think, understandably, very angry patients who don't understand why they're not getting access to care, even though, as you say, they've been told time and time again that the NHS has gotten more money, that it's been reformed, and that it's going to improve. And I guess this is summed up by what happened this week when the current health secretary, Steve Barkley, was yelled at by somebody outside of, I think it was St. Thomas's Hospital. That plan for jobs has protected Are you going to do pieces? anything about the ambulances waiting and the people dying out? being asked, why aren't there any ambulances? Why haven't you sorted out the waiting list? You've done bugger all about it. And I, I think, you know, the crux of it was the Tories have been in power now for well over a decade. Why haven't you fixed the NHS? And it was a very uncomfortable moment for Barclay, wasn't it? Mm, absolutely. And you see throughout the NHS's history, these these moments where it becomes obvious that it's impossible not to do something big to alleviate the pressures and you know around the time of the the Blair reforms and the 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 NHS plan in 2000 there were two incidents one was Mavis Skeet a woman who um died after having her surgery delayed repeatedly because no operating theatre or the right staff just were not available and she passed away and her family were very very upset understandably about that and then Robert Winston, his mother was in hospital and he was appalled by the way in which the NHS was not really functioning to treat her and uh, gave an interview to the New Statesman about that, which caused a huge row and again really shook Tony Blair and his colleagues. And you have those moments which, as you say, they sort of crystallise what's going on across the system and what's going on within public opinion. And I think this confrontation is one of them. I suspect we're going to have this winter a couple of cases that will really catch the the public attention as well. We There was one in the past couple of weeks in Cornwall where a man's family had to build a, a sort of temporary shelter out of a football goal and tarpaulins and stuff to keep him dry and sort of out of the wind and rain while he waited for, was it 18 hours for an ambulance? I mean, it's impossible obscene, not to yeah. sort of... To, to hold that in your memory and think, gosh, what on earth has gone wrong with the system here? And I think you get those moments where it just becomes very obvious that something has to be done. And the only thing that has stopped it from becoming a big political row is that we don't have, we don't really have a prime minister or a government at the moment. We've got, you know, Boris mm-hmm. Johnson, who sort of turns up to meetings that he quite likes the sound of or goes on holiday. And then <laughs> a lot of ministers who are basically... I mean, you know, some of them are very able, but they all have the air of someone who's only on their summer internship and will be going back to something else in the next couple of weeks. So there's not really much point in interviewers, papers saying, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because the person who they're talking to will say, well, I'm probably about to get sacked. But I think in the coming weeks, as we get a new government, I think that's sort of suspended animation that the government's been in will will obviously go and and then things are going to get very uncomfortable very quickly. Isabel, thanks for joining me and thank you for listening.